0: May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Friday was Patrick's day and a friend of mine sent me some Irish jokes. So <laughs> here's one of them. During a recent customer password check audit at the Bank of Ireland, it was found that Patio Tor was using the following Password. Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, Huey, Louie, Dewey, Donald, Goofy, Dublin. When Paddy was asked why he had such a long password, he replied,
1: Be Jesus, are
0: you stupid? I was told my password had to be at least eight characters long and include one capital. Did you get that? Hard crowd. Well, I think... Uh, That story actually helps us understand something about last week's Gospel reading and this week's Gospel reading, about people hearing something and hearing it one way when it was intended another. So last week we heard the story of a man, Nicodemus. We know his name. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. So he was educated. He was somebody who knew all about the law of Moses and he knew all about the fences that the law had had been built around the law of Moses to make sure that you could never disobey the law of Moses. And he sought to live his life in obedience to the law, both the law of Moses and the fences that had been there to protect it. And he lived in a way that he hoped would encourage others to also live their lives under this law. We could say that he was part of the in group of the in group. He was part of the in group because he was a man. And he was part of the in group because he was a Jew. He was part of the in group because he was a Jew. And because he was a man, he was part of the in group of the in group. And because he was a Pharisee, he was part of the in group of the in group of the in group. You couldn't get much more in the in group than Nicodemus, whose name we know. And he came to Jesus in the middle of the night. Now there's some discussion about whether that was a good thing or not, because some of the discussions about Torah happened in the night. But he came at night, and he came to see Jesus in secret. And Jesus talked to him about being born again. And like Paddy O'Toole, when he heard that, he kind of came to the wrong conclusion. When he was told that he had to be born from above, not again, born from above, born by spirit and water, his response to that was, how is that possible? Do I have to climb back into my mother's womb? Very like patio O'Toole. He didn't get what Jesus was saying at all. Didn't even come close. He didn't get that what Jesus was saying was that you need to let go of every marker. Of your current identity. Your birth led you to be in a certain family. You were born into a family. And that family gave you your identity. It said who you were in the world. It provided the social network that you were to live in. It gave you your job. It gave you your family's honour, that it was your job to maintain, to protect, to add to, for the rest of your life. And if you were a woman, they were the people that made decisions about you. So your life was determined by your birth. And when Jesus says, you need to be born from above, Jesus was saying, you need to start again. It's like you reset, push the reset button on your computer, and we start all over again with a whole new identity. But Nicodemus doesn't hear that. He just hears that he has to climb back into his mother's womb. This man, whose name we know, who was in the in-group of the in-group of the in-group, who was educated and a teacher, and lived the law of Moses. So today we have the story of the unnamed Samaritan woman, Now we often think that these stories are randomly put together and we don't actually think about I wonder if those two stories were put quite close together for a reason. And there are a number of people that say actually they're put very close together in John's Gospel for a reason because they are the exact opposite. Nicodemus has a name. Who knows the name of today's hero, heroine. We don't. Not told. Nicodemus was a man. This woman is a woman. He was a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He came in the dead of the night. She comes in the middle of the day. He came in secret, in private. She comes to a very public place. And it get much more public than the world. We don't know much about her at all, really. Apart from... She's come to the world in the middle of the day, which means there's something dodgy going on, because she's not coming when everyone else comes, which is in the morning when it's cool, or in the evening when it's cool, but in the middle of the day when it's hot. And we're told later that she has had five husbands. We don't know what that's about, but for some reason many of us jump to conclusions and think, well, that must be quite dodgy, so she must be a dodgy person, and that's why she's there in the middle of the day. So, unlike Nicodemus, whose name we know him was a man, we can see that this person, Nicodemus, who was an in group of the in group of the in group, this person is a Samaritan, so she's not in the in group, she's in the out group. And she's a woman, so she's in the out-group of the out-group. And she's there at the well in the middle of the day, so she's on the edge of the out-group of the out-group. So we had one person who's right in the middle and really should get it, and this person who's on the edge of the out-group of the out-group and has no chance of getting it really at all, has she? How could she possibly get it? And the story starts scandalously, really. Jesus speaks to her. Now, that doesn't kind of strike us as very odd. If you're thirsty and somebody's got a way of getting some water, you'd speak to them. But she is a Samaritan and he is a Jew. And she is a woman who's there in the middle of the day and he's a rabbi. And so there is no way on God's earth that he should ever speak to her. And how can he drink the water anyway? She's a Samaritan. They are unclean by definition. They have married non-Jewish people. People not of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's their problem. They have intermarried. They intermarried with the people the Assyrians brought in. They intermarried with the people Herod the Great brought in. They intermarried with the Greeks when they came through there. They are so unpure. So you cannot have anything to do with them. So it's bad enough that Jesus speaks to her. But then worse. I mean, how many of us were scandalised that she responds? This woman who's unaccompanied in a public place. She should fill up her water jar, ignore him, and scamper back into the city, just pretending that rude Jewish man didn't say anything. Because that's what she should do. You can't speak to a man who's not part of your family. Especially when you're unaccompanied. That's just wrong. But she replies. There is something about Jesus that leads her to speak to him. This man by the well." And her question is. How is it that you speak to me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, we don't talk. Why are you asking me for water? And the conversation goes. And the conversation goes pretty much the same as with Nicodemus, for a start, doesn't it? She just takes him literally. I can give you living water? Well, how are you going to do that? You haven't got a bucket. There's the well, it's deep. Well the living water i have will mean you will never be thirsty again i'd like that i'd quite like that living water so that i don't have to keep coming out here in the middle of the day when it's hot to get water if i'm never thirsty again this sounds like a good thing can you give it to me up to this point exactly the same as nicodemus and then jesus says bring your husband And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands. And we immediately jumped to all kinds of conclusions. And the commentaries were really interesting. Even the ones who are arguing that we should take her a lot more seriously than we normally do, at this point kind of veered off and said, oh, well, she clearly has a problem with serial relationships. I went, how does a woman of Jesus' time have any kind of problem like that? Like who, which woman have the power and authority in their lives to decide what kind of relationships they have. This is a man's world. Men say to her, you will be married. And when they're tired of her, they say, you will not be married anymore. It's a very good chance that at least one of those husbands died. So she's a widow. And I remember Archbishop Roger Hurft speaking Nearly six years ago, at a Franciscan gathering, from his experience in Sri Lanka, his mother, who came from a good kind of family, with good connections, her husband had, you know, they were upper middle class, then her husband died, she was on the outer. It all stopped. Widows didn't belong. Your identity was in your husband. Once your husband has died, you had no identity. So, to dismiss this woman because she's had five husbands, it's harsh. If she's a widow, it's very harsh. If she's been divorced, women don't divorce men, men divorce women. Because you've got too old, you were barren, I found a nicer woman. Polygamy, at least, you can keep the first wife and carry on with the new wife, but... When you've only got one wife, you have to get rid of the first one. So this is the world she lives in. And this is what's happened to her. She's not a woman who's got problems with serial relationships. She's a woman trying to survive in a man's world. She has been pushed to the edge in this man's world. In this patriarchal world. She is simply trying to survive and this woman pushed to the edge whose name we don't know has the courage to break all the rules that say she should not engage with this Jewish man and she engages and as a result she makes this statement I know that the Messiah is coming The one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach us everything. And in response, we hear the first great I am statement of John's Gospel. Which often is not even talked about. I am he. I am the one. To a Samaritan woman. woman whose name we don't know who was on the edge of the outgroup of the outgroup that's the person Jesus gives the first i am statement to and unlike nicodemus the man the jew whose name we know the pharisee who should have got it she gets it could she have passed a test on it probably not but she gets it enough to know That something amazing is going on here. She gets it enough to know that in this person she is being offered a whole new identity. The reset button is being pushed. She doesn't have to keep struggling in this patriarchal world anymore. She is being given a new people to belong to. And we can tell that because she leaves her water jar behind. This water jar, which is her life, that's her access to the water, she leaves behind with her new family and goes into town. And then a very interesting thing happens. And I don't know whether you noticed this. Jesus then talks to the disciples about mission and reaping and harvesting, all those kind of things, these good Jewish men because they need a whole lot more teaching about this stuff. Meanwhile, back in the Samaritan city is this unnamed Samaritan woman doing exactly what Jesus is talking about, but she didn't need all the teaching. She just went and did it. She is the first missionary. She just goes in there, and we kind of say, "Oh, Well, that's kind of cool. And we miss the point that yet again she breaks all the rules about what she can do and can't do. She stands in the man's place, the public square, unaccompanied by any man, and talks to people, some of whom will be her family, but others won't be. She can't do that. But she does, because that's what Jesus has given her permission to do. She has a new identity. And out of that new identity, she speaks in the man's place. And people are shocked and amazed and want to find out more. How did this woman, who is on the edge, who we can ignore, suddenly stand in the man's place and speak to us? What is going on here? Meanwhile, back at the well, Jesus is having to teach the disciples, about mission. They're not ready to do that stuff yet. They need a little bit more coercing and teaching and encouraging. We should be just amazed by this person. We should go, wow, she's amazing. She's incredible. She's The first missionary. She is the receiver of the first great I am statement. She is one of the pivotal people in the story of Jesus. And we don't even know her name. Nicodemus, we know his name. He was a male, he was a Jew, he was important. But this woman, we don't know her name. And there should be icons and pictures all over the world about her. And there are a few There's not that many, really, when you consider the role she plays in this gospel. And we should be using her as an example all the time. And instead, when we tell the story, we focus on Jesus saying, talking about living water, and Jesus saying, I am, and Jesus teaching the disciples. And her role is kind of pushed off to one side, as if, oh, she wasn't that important. The really important people are the men. But actually, she is the important person in the story. And still, we don't know her name. In a way, we continue exactly what was happening to her in the first place. We push her to one side. We marginalise her. Well, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should take a whole lot more notice of her. So think about this Samaritan woman, whose name we don't know, but in this story plays such a pivotal role. Kind of a contrast to Nicodemus and a contrast to the disciples. The one who gets it enough to be able to act on it. The one who can get past the literal understanding of what Jesus is saying. The one who gets that Jesus is offering her a new identity. I wonder how many times we have not seen people doing exactly the same for us. On the first Sunday of Lent I talked about Lent being a time when we can grow in our identity as carriers of the image of God. God's carriers of God's generosity and compassion and justice and love. And I wonder who are the people we don't see? who live out God's compassion and justice and love because they don't quite look right. They don't fit our understanding of what that kind of person should be like. And I wonder during Lent whether one of the, one of the gifts of Lent is we can spend some time reflecting on that and paying attention to that and seeing those people and giving thanks for those people. But I also wonder how many times we are that person, living out God's compassion and generosity and justice and love, and people don't see us because they're too busy or for whatever reason, and we feel a little bit ho about that because they don't say thank you or they don't acknowledge us or we don't get the feedback we would like. And maybe Lent is a time when we can let go of our need to be acknowledged, need to be seen. And just know, like the Samaritan woman, it was enough to do it. It was enough to be that person, to play our role. And that the rest of it is unnecessary, nice as it is. So I hope over the next week you can spend some time thinking about this amazing woman. This woman from the edge who offers us an example, a contrast to all the important men in the story who didn't get it. And this woman from the edge who gets it enough to live it out and to show us what it means to be disciples of Christ.